Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ian Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, daf Tzadi Vav, page 96. Um, because we ended the parak yesterday, at the point that the parak ended, which was not quite at the very end of the daf, we have a new Mishnah that's on the previous daf, 95. Yitomim. Uh, so the basic principle here is that a widow is... Um, provided for from the property of the orphans, meaning the orphans might inherit everything from the estate, from the from the father, and she is provided for from their property. Yatomim, I'm sorry, and the same way that her earnings, let's say, the work of her hands, whatever she produced, would have gone to the husband, now that goes to the to the children, to the to the orphans. And this seems very unfair that they are not even obligated to make sure that she is buried, meaning that you would think that that's a, a trade-off um, and it kind of is in the marriage, but not for the atonement. But her heirs, meaning these are somehow the husband's orphans that are not her children, but her heirs who do inherit her own ketubah Right, it's not a matter of providing her for her mizonot. They are indeed obligated to see that she is buried, presumably buried well. Fine. So that's that's the mishnah. It's a short mishnah. The gemara goes on to say, um, you know, are we talking about here? nizonet tenan. Oh, ha nizonet tenan. The the gemara wants to first focus on the really, you know, be most tiny little details about the wording of the mishnah. Are we saying a widow who is sustained? <coughs> I'm sorry, a widow is sustained? Or a widow who is sustained? Meaning, are we talking about a policy across the board? Or are we talking about a case where this is this woman's circumstances? Okay. I actually want to skip down, meaning the past this um, focus on the precise wording or, or intent of the case itself and get to some more general statements um, that I think are interesting. Then I think you think they're interesting as well. Now I'm on 96 proper at the top of the daf. Tashma, Amar Rabbi Zeir, Amar Shmuel, Mitziat, Amanalatma. So we say that Rabbi, we have a proof here that Rabbi Zeir said that Shmuel said that a lost, if you have a lost item, a lost object that was found by a widow, right? She she takes it to herself, meaning she when she picks it up with her hands, she is she acquires it for herself. <laughs> so now, again, this is going to go back to that mission and say, well, are you talking about a woman is always going to be provided for by the orphans, by the Yatomim, or are we saying that in the case of the one who did? So the language, the, the focus on the language about the Mishnah is not... It's not so far, it's a really, it's a, an important basis for what happens next in the halacha. Now I'm going to, again, jump down, right? Because, um, okay, right? So it says, I'm jumping down the next bit. In the end, we say, we're not going to worry about this nizonit. Is it the widow is sustained? It doesn't contradict the way you could look at it either way. That, that of course, has to be the answer, right? Because otherwise we would have a definitive way of reading the Mishnah. And instead we end up with a real dispute. Do you want to read it this way or that way? But now we've got more general statements. Right? 
all of the things, all of the acts of servitude, I guess. I don't mean servitude, kindness, let's say, right? That a woman would do for her husband, the widow does them for her husband's heirs. Even again, even if they're not her own heirs. Except for certain acts, which I believe are considered to be, <coughs> excuse me, I guess too intimate for her to be performing them for the for the Yorshim, right? Which is filling the cup and making the bed, which might be euphemistic, and washing his hands and feet, right? All of these are going to be, you know, uh, acts of affection or or intimacy that a woman that a wife would do for a husband, but that doesn't mean she's doing it for the husband's heirs. And now we get into a series of uh, a string of these general statements. Everything that a, an Evid Kanani, a, a Canaanite slave, would have done for his master, a student would perform for his teacher. Talmido Rabo, me Except for untying his shoes. Why? Because there's that's considered, um, I guess, too lowly, something that might be demeaning for the student, but that is not considered demeaning for a slave because a slave is fairly demeaned to begin with. Um, and then the Gemara, Rava really here takes issue, takes this case and says, well, we're talking about a case, you know, a scenario where you have a teacher and a student in a place where the people don't know this student, then he actually might be mistaken for a slave. But if everybody knows them, then you don't have to worry about him doing this uh, deal with the shoe, right? Because nobody know, nobody's going to think that he's a slave, so you don't have to worry about it being demeaning. Um, fine. And then there's a whole really picturesque thing where Rav Ashi says, you know, if you know that, if, they, if you're in a place where people do not know the student, but everybody's wearing tefillin, then it's okay because a slave would not be wearing tefillin, right? So that if the student is wearing tefillin, then he can, then he can untie his teacher's shoes, and nobody will think that he's a slave. Which I think is a really interesting, like tefillin as a sign of freedom, um, is an interesting, um, I don't know what portrait, I suppose. And lastly, I'm Rabbi Chirba Abba, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Kol hamonei atalmidom lesham show ki ilu monei mimenu chesed. So Rabbi Chiyar Abba says that Rabbi Yochanan said that if you stop your servant, I'm sorry, stop your student from providing these services, then it's as if you're preventing him, you're holding back the kindness to him, to the student. Because, we have this verse from the book of Eov, Job, um, chapter 6, right, where it says, to him who is, and the translation here says that he's ready to faint. Right, that's the person who gets the chesed. Um, Rav Nachman or Yitzchak says, you're even taking the student away from, or you're taking Yirat Shamayim off of the student because, because it's like you're, you, you need to provide him, you need to allow him to do these acts for his Rebbe, right? For his teacher as a means of cultivating his own Yirat Shamayim, this, I don't know what, respect or, or honor, higher, there's a hierarchy there, and it's, it has to be in place. So the idea, somebody who wants to be so down to earth or so humble and say, no, no, I'll do it myself, the, at least Rabbi Chirba Abba here in the name of Rabbi Yochanan and also Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak here are rebuking that and saying, no, you have to, the students should be serving the, the, the 
teachers. Uh, yeah, we got a nice little agarita here in the middle of all our legal uh, discussion. But, you know, it's interesting. We think of words as like serving as like a bad thing. But I think part of this is trying to say, like, even what the Almana does for the Yorshin or what that Talmi does for the Rav, it's, it's really considered to be honorable work in the eyes of the uh, Gemara. So I think that's important just to keep in mind. Um, I'm going to just sort of like summarize and do a couple of key points in the rest of this uh, Gemara. And they sort of come up with uh, three different points uh, about uh, some of these issues around the Almana and how she gets paid. So the first one is Amar Rabbi Elazar Almana Shatapsa Metaltalim B'Mizunotaha My Shatapsa Tapsa that oh, Rabbi Elazar says that a woman who basically just takes movable property to pay for her mizono whatever she takes she takes and it stays in her possession. In other words, if the estate didn't get around, I guess to giving her a change, or she just goes ahead and says, "I'm going to take what I need," she's allowed to take it. Tanya Namiachi, we learned it abrace also Almana Shatapsa Metaltalim B'Mizunotaha. Masha tapsa tapsa. So we have a bracelet that teaches exactly the same thing. And then they come with an interesting story. Rabdimi came from Eretz Yisrael. He said, Amar Masa Shabtai. There was a story with the daughter in law of Shabtai. She took a saddlebag full of coins for her Mizonet. The Chachamim couldn't take it away from her. She was entitled to it. And if maybe the estate wanted to give it to her from different property, once she takes it, she takes it because she's entitled to it. Um, and then Ravina comes to clarify it. I'm a Ravina Mine. So Ravina says, this halach is only when she seized it for her mizona, that we don't take it. But if she did it for her kituba, we actually would take it from her. Okay, Ravashi disagrees with this. He wants to know, uh, what the uh, what the difference is, right? Um, and uh, and and so the Gemara comes on to say essentially, well, matki bar Rav Ashi, right? What's the difference about seizing assets for a marriage contract? Uh, you know, right? If the marriage contract can be paid, uh, you know. Um, Either from real estate or not from movable property, right? And so we say that uh, there's sort of a rabbinic, uh, there's a rabbinic, it's chazal that said that mizono is also paid only from real estate and not from metaltalim, from movable property. So rather, what you would say is, is that if she seizes assets for her mizonot, right? That what she sees, she sees. Right, her seizure is effective. Right, it should also be true for her ketuba. Right, So we say this halach in the name of Rava, in accordance with your teaching that if she took this metaltalin to pay for her uh, ketuba, it's also removed. So in other words, the point is maybe not everybody actually holds by this. Then Rabbi Yochanan comes. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Mashmid Rabbi Yosi Bezimra. Almanasha Tash Daim Bishloshash Bishaloshanim. The Lotava Mizonot Ibada Mizonot. Let's say a widow doesn't claim her right to Mizonot right away. She waits two or three years, then she forfeits it. And then the Gemara explains why does it teach two? Why does it teach three? It gives a couple of different explanations about that. 
And finally, the third case that they want to describe here, which is right at the bottom of Amr Aleph, is by Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan wanted to know, Yitomim omrim not new, v'hiomer lo natalti, Let's say the orphans claim we fed her, right? We gave her her sustenance, and she said, I didn't take any. Who is the one who actually has to give proof? Um, and I find this to be an interesting discussion because we know the uh, law that is repeated the most in the Torah is the law that says it's repeated 36 times that we must take care of the orphan and the widow. And so what I find interesting about the scenario of Rabbi Yochanan is it's kind of like pitting together like the, the two groups that we look at for, the Atom and the Almana. And so I think part of what Rabbi Yochanan is getting at is like, we don't really want to make either one have to prove it because we sort of treat each of them as sort of like a special category, right? And, and, and so the question is, you know, who do we say, uh, who, who really has to like prove it? So the Gemara starts off by saying, So would you say that the property is in possession of the orphan and therefore the widow has to bring proof, right? Because in other words, the burden of proof is usually on the claimant. Or do we say the property is in the woman's possession because there's a lien attached to her ketuba? And really it's the orphans who have to bring the proof. And so basically they're going to come and try to figure this out, um, you know, exactly how this works, right? Toshma Datani Levi, right? Levi taught. Right? For a widow, as long as she's not married, it's upon the orphans to bring proof that they fed her, right? Once she remarries, then it's she who has to do it, okay? Um, and then the Gemara goes on to show that this is actually a machloket uh, of the Tanaim itself. But it's interesting to see these are sort of like based on this Mishnah, sort of these three uh, issues that the Gemara brings up, right? Oh, 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 widow who just sort of takes the property to get the Mizonos, right? A widow who doesn't claim to get Mizonos for two or three years, and how does that affect her ability to get the Mizonos payment? And finally, who sort of has, who is the burden of proof on? Is it on the Yatomim or is it on the Almanah? That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.